Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Good morning, Liberty. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you find our assembly this morning acceptable and holy and beautiful and delightful in your sight. Here in the power of Christ we stand. We are here not because uh, we decided to pursue you and love you and follow you, but because you called us to yourself and uh, quickened us by your spirit and came before us to this place today and invited us into your presence. And so we're uh, grateful that uh, we, we come before you now without fear of being cast out or being ashamed, but instead we delight in your presence and in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, Liberty. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here. It is good to be back with you on this platform this morning and to see that you came back. So that's a, that's a good sign as well. If you are visiting with us this morning, if uh, you are not normally at Liberty or if this is your first time at Liberty, we're particularly glad that you're here and want you to experience a welcome. I mention this because actually you're one of the main characters in the sermon this morning, so it would have been difficult without you. Uh, don't worry, you do not have a speaking role. The first 12 or 13 years that Denise and I were married, we were serving in a church ministry in the Indianapolis area. Along the way, I did some uh, graduate work up the road from there at Purdue University. And God used that to redirect and to shape my life a little bit. And uh, we laid it before our elders and they actually uh, laid hands on us and uh, sent us out into an academic ministry, an academic vocation for a season of life. I want to be absolutely clear. They sent us out. They did not kick us out. That's a big difference, all right? So we headed up the road to Purdue. At this time, we didn't know where we would pop out the other end of those graduate studies, and so we sold our house in Indianapolis and were looking to purchase a house in the Lafayette area. So we had this grand strategy that uh, we would buy an old fixer-upper and that this would, in effect, be our grad school job that uh, while we lived in this house, we would fix it up, and then when we eventually uh, left grad school, we could sell it, that we would recoup our money, and uh, then we would move on to whatever God had next for us. It was a great plan. We found a house that it was probably going to be a bit of a challenge, but we put an offer in on it. It was accepted, and then we went to the inspection it was going to be more than a challenge. And so realized that uh, this was probably not a great idea. I went home and told Denise that I just didn't think this plan was gonna work. And she said, well, that's interesting. 
I'm pregnant. <laughs> I called our realtor. I said, I need three bedrooms, at least one bathroom, two is better, no work. <laughs> he said, you give up easy. I said, no, I have new information. That's a bit of what we've got in the text this morning. So the book of Isaiah is our text. If you want to run ahead of me a little bit, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 56 to 58. So that starts on page 616 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. So Isaiah 56 to 58. But as a bit of a running start, Isaiah is actually bracketed at the beginning and the end with a discussion of the Sabbath. At the beginning of Isaiah, in chapter 1, God says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I can't endure your iniquity and your solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of them. Now at the end of Isaiah, we read this. These are almost the very last verses in all of Isaiah. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. God has some kind of change of attitude between the beginning of the book of Isaiah where he says, your Sabbaths are exhausting me, I'm tired of them, and the end when he celebrates this Sabbath pattern when all the nations will gather before me. What is it that occurs in between? Isaiah 56, Isaiah 57, and Isaiah 58. The only other mention of Sabbath in the entire book of Isaiah. So whatever it is that changes God's attitude about Sabbath keeping is what happens here in these key chapters before us. This, in effect, is the new information of the book of Isaiah. So we want to attend closely to these passages. Maybe your own attitude is a bit like that of the Lord. Now, I want to be clear about something. The New Testament does not equate Sabbath with Sunday. I realize in practice that that's probably an appropriate way for many of us to think about Sabbath keeping is that Sabbathing happens on Sunday. But just recognize that that's not automatically how the New Testament regards it, and we'll take that up on some other occasion. But I don't want to undermine your Sabbath practices on Sunday if, if that is what in practice works for you. But maybe you have a, a similar perspective, a similar attitude about Sundays or about the Sabbath. They tire me out. I'm exhausted. Is it that time again? 
it seems like we just did that. What's the point? It seems like it's more work sometimes than it might seem to be worth. Well, that's one of the things that Isaiah is going to do for us. We're going to try to recover a a biblical and healthy and optimistic view of the Sabbath as we come to the text before us. Now, there was some interest last week, some even some appreciation for what I offered in terms of a kind of backbone of the Old Testament. So I thought I'd bring this back up and kind of uh, fill it in a little bit further. So last time we just went through about the book of 2 Kings. Just want to note that if we were to kind of complete the Old Testament timeline, there's a 70-year period of uh, Babylonian captivity. And then as the Jews return from the captivity, this is recorded in the books of Ezra Ezra and Nehemiah. And then Nehemiah basically ends the historical narrative of the Old Testament. When we come to the book of Isaiah, it's like, well, where does this fit into this long and lengthy narrative? And so once more, Isaiah, you are here. Isaiah takes place pretty much right in the middle of 2 Kings, near the end of the northern kingdom of Israel as they're sort of in their final uh, death throes before their own conquest, as as well as paralleling some of the ministry going on in the southern kingdom of Judah. So Isaiah, even though it shows up a lot later in your Bible, is actually kind of slotted in here to the book of 2 Kings. So as we begin to make our own way through this text and understand what's going on here, what I want to offer you is this. Rather than thinking of Sunday or your Sabbath as another day with just a different list of things to do, and maybe that's been one of the effects, some of you have mentioned these effects, as we've been working our way through a sermon series on Sabbath, it's like, you know, I, maybe it's good we keep saying it. We keep saying, this is not new law. We're not trying to weigh you down. We're trying to open up space for rest. We're trying to call you to peace and joy. But anytime we start to move to application, sometimes we begin to take on additional burdens and start to think, just seems like we're making new lists of things to do and Sundays are already full enough. Well, the point I want to make today as one component of a biblical theology of Sabbath keeping, not the complete account of biblical Sabbath keeping, but a critical appointment um, that we want to make today is this. Godly Sabbath keeping is not achieved by what we do or do not do on one day of the week. Godly Sabbath keeping is based on what we do every day of the week. Do you hear me there? We're not going to just make a list of rules for Sunday and say, if you do this, you're keeping the Sabbath. What we really want to understand is what does righteous living look like for six days, and then how is the Sabbath a reaction and a fulfillment to the rest of our week? We've looked at these patterns throughout Scripture. We saw last week these patterns of sevens around uh, Sabbath years, where six years of planting and harvest, and then a seventh year of letting the, the land lay fallow. And this pattern of provision and faithfulness, and then rest. We saw that pattern 
multiplied by seven with the year of Jubilee, seven sevens of those Sabbath year patterns. And then this great celebration of provision and joy in the Jubilee year. And so now we're thinking back on something closer to uh, a weekly pattern of Sabbath keeping. And we want to look here in Isaiah 56 to 58. We're not going to unfortunately be able to consider every verse along the way and think about uh, how is this going to shape the Sabbath keeping that, that we pursue, the Sabbath keeping that we keep today. Now, I mentioned an academic ministry. I occasionally still teach some at the college level. If you have some experience in a college classroom with some of those trickier courses like maybe math or chemistry or the one I teach, symbolic logic, you have these problems you have to solve and you seem a little bit stuck, you're not quite sure how to do it. But fortunately, the textbook publisher has been helpful and they've they put the answers in the back of the book, right? And so you can look at the back of the book and, and that gives you some indication if you're, if you're doing it right or not. That's a bit of what we have here as we begin in Isaiah 56. What are the signs, what are the indications of healthy Sabbath keeping Blessed is the one who keeps the Sabbath. This is what it will look like when we are faithful Sabbath keepers as individuals and as a church. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it, keeps his hand from doing evil. What are the markers? Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. This is one of our initial markers that as we come together in faithful Sabbath keeping, the foreigner, the stranger, the alien, the outcast finds a home in the people of God. This is one of these places where if uh, this is your first time at Liberty or if you don't think of this as your home, uh, where you show up in the sermon. Liberty, if we are faithful as a Sabbath-keeping church, then when strangers, when foreigners when guests, when outsiders, when aliens come in among us, they will be welcomed, they will, be, they will experience community, they will be joined together with us. This is what a Sabbath community looks like. And the eunuch will not say, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will, be not, that will not be cut off. To be a eunuch in ancient Israel was to have no family line, to have no future. 
Jesus later says that uh, some are eunuchs by birth, some are eunuchs by the will of man, uh, some choose this pathway. Now, we don't typically have people who are physical eunuchs among our community and culture today, but we do have people that see themselves as alone, perhaps they are unmarried, perhaps they have no children, and they often feel like outsiders in the church. They feel like they haven't quite lived up to what it is to be membered in this particular community. Because sometimes it just sounds like the church is a family event. It's about families coming together. It's about couples and then children and then multiple generations. And those things are critical and healthy and fantastic and part of the beauty of what it is to be a church family. But without meaning to, we can also communicate to other people, you don't quite fit because this is about family and it's about children and it's about multiple generations. And so, Liberty, if we are going to be a faithful Sabbath-keeping church, then people who are not married, people who do not have children, people who aren't part of that multi-generational community will discover something amazing here. They'll discover family. They'll discover brothers and sisters. They'll discover grandparents and children. And the relationship will not be a biological one. It'll be a spiritual one. There'll be fathers and grandfathers, mothers and grandmothers that they look to for counsel and comfort and leadership. There will be uh, children and grandchildren that they can disciple and serve and uh, be uncles and aunts to. They will experience family even if from a biological or legal standpoint they don't have family around us. Continuing on, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, they'll be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, who holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. Now that ought to sound like a familiar couple of verses to you, given the role of the gather initiative in the course of the last year and the next year for Liberty Bible Church. Did you realize when we laid out a gather initiative a year ago and embraced it and committed ourselves to accomplishing so many things that this discussion actually takes place in the midst of Isaiah's uh, teaching on Sabbath keeping? That God will accomplish this gathering together of all nations into his presence to offer acceptable sacrifices and this will be a marker of faithful Sabbath keeping, whatever that looks like. Those who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it. So once more, it's not about uh, what are the steps that we're going to take to achieve the goals that we've established, but what are the natural consequences that flow out of Sabbath faithfulness as we seek to do these things together? So that's what I, those are the answers in the back of the book. There's not gonna be a, 
uh, a short pathway to how do we accomplish that kind of community? How do we accomplish that kind of invitation? How do we accomplish those sorts of experiences? But there is this. As we're faithful in the six days and the one day, in the working and in the resting, if we're faithful in those ways, then I think what we'll see is the stranger, the alien, the foreigner finds community here. The single, the childless, the lonely find family here. Nations gather to offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Now, there are things that impoverish Sabbath-keeping, and Isaiah wants to address these things directly. For example, in chapter 56, just a little bit further along, we see this. This is in uh, verse 12. Come, they say, let us get wine, let us fill ourselves a strong drink. Tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. We have this self-will described in what I'm going to do, what I'm going to accomplish, and tomorrow will be even greater than today. This ought to sound a little bit like James chapter 4, when James says, who are you, oh man, when you say, tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and we'll conduct business and we'll make a profit. What do you know? Your life is but a, a vapor, and tomorrow is not guaranteed for you. And so part of Sabbath-keeping fundamentally is setting aside self-will and the pride that goes with our own plans and our own declarations, as if we're establishing terms for how God will meet our need, how God will bless us, what he'll achieve, and instead to submit ourselves to the timeline and the opportunities, the pathways that the Lord lays before us. Isaiah collects here in these middle chapters uh, so many examples from the life of Israel that uncomfortably parallel so many things from our own time and our own culture that we, as we run up against the fatigue of Sabbath-keeping, or the despair of Sabbath-keeping, or the frustration of Sabbath-keeping, it might be because we're reflecting some of the same cultural impoverishment that Isaiah was speaking to. In chapter 57, in verse 4, he says, uh, excuse me, in uh, yeah, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 57, who are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Aren't you children of transgression and offspring of deceit? You burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree. He, now, this may be a stretch for you to sort of conceive of, but the people in Isaiah's day lived in a culture consumed with lust, consumed with sexuality, you couldn't turn around without seeing it, like under every green tree. Now, we're not necessarily walking through the woods and experiencing lust, carnality, and sexuality, but we might be flipping through the channels and seeing these things. We might be surfing through the web and seeing these things. We might be embodying, embracing, pursuing, and seeking, uh, overwhelmed by the same lust 
and sexual immorality that marks Isaiah's day. One of the challenges, and I, I don't know everybody's condition, everybody's heart, but one of the things that might stand between us and joyful Sabbath keeping on Sunday is the lust or sensuality that marks the other six days of the week. And we, we can't just sort of say, I can do anything I want, I can pursue anything I want, I can value anything I want, I can watch anything I want, and then I'll flip a switch on Sunday and holiness will follow or favor will follow. In that same verse, the natural offspring of this lustful attitude, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks, moving then from sensuality and sexuality to infanticide and ultimately to the kind of um, pagan idol worship where in Isaiah's time there were people who offered their children to pagan gods where these children were killed in the fire of offerings to the god Moloch and other gods. Inconceivable to us that anybody would uh, take the offspring of their own body regard it with such low regard that they would uh, not care for it, not care for these children, but sacrifice them, give them up uh, as the, uh, in pursuit of their own desires, right? The reason that people would offer sacrifices, even of children, to these false gods was, if I do this, I'll get what I want. If I... uh, ignore, sacrifice, give up my children, then I will gain what I want more than the health and blessing of my own children. This is a challenge to parents, that as we consider the task of parenting in our age, uh, children are not an inconvenience, they're not a barrier to us achieving what we want to do. Uh, It's a vocational call on our lives for a season where you wonder, what is the will of God? What am I called to do right now? Well, if you have children, the will of God is that you parent them well. You don't have to worry about what's God's will for you. It's that you love and parent these children well. And we're in this tension between, well, that's gonna be inconvenient for me. They're expensive. They're expensive, they are time-consuming, they're messy. It's frustrating and it's exhausting. And I say this as an empty nester. And it's a season. And it's a season where we're called to faithfulness. And in that season of righteously parenting, we are um, participating in rhythms that are repeated through generations, and we begin to call the Sabbath rest a delight. Continuing on in the same passage, 57.9, you journey to the king with oil, you multiplied your, perfume, your perfumes, you sent your envoys far off, You even went down as far as Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say, it's hopeless. You found new life for your strength, so you were not faint. 
Now, one of the things that Isaiah is speaking to here is a culture of consumerism. You'll go all the way to other countries to get whatever you want. You'll go from store to store to purchase all the things you need. Again, this also is exhausting. I'm so tired of shopping. But as Isaiah says here, but you don't say, this is hopeless, this is ridiculous, this is a bad idea. Instead, you say, I have new strength. I can carry on in my shopping mission. I can carry on in my passion for accumulation. I can carry on in my acquisition to get all the right stuff in my house or to have the right cars. Sure, it's exhausting, but it's worth it. I have new strength for this task. These are the things that stand in the way of faithful Sabbath-keeping, faithful Sabbath observance. If we come to the Sabbath and we think there's no point, I'm exhausted, I don't get it, I don't understand it, one of the things that we ought to do is to evaluate whether we are instead choosing in those other six days of the week some of the things that will impoverish our goals of Sabbath-keeping. God says this in Isaiah um, 57 verse 11. Haven't I held my peace even for a long time? Now, this is kind of a key, a key moment here where Isaiah, a little bit like a prosecuting attorney, is laying out the charges against Israel. And he says, God is saying, I've waited a long time. I've let you get away with it for a long time. There seems to be something different going on here than what we looked at last week. Last week when we were looking at Sabbath years, we saw that Israel, it seemed, did not faithfully follow the Sabbath year ordinance. Maybe about 40% of the time did they actually keep the Sabbath year. And 60% of the time they just kind of rolled over and kept on planting, kept on harvesting. It seems like in the history of Israel to this point that uh, they were pretty faithful with Sabbath observance. They had, that's why God was so tired of them because they kept doing it inconsistently with all the other things that he was calling them to. And so you can sort of imagine uh, God just sort of biding his time and biding his tongue and then finally just saying, that's enough. This isn't working. I'm going to break in and challenge this. When I was younger, my, uh, my younger brother, one of my younger brothers, is only two years younger than I am, so we were pretty, ma- pretty well matched in size and age and we had a good bit of physical conflict between the two of us along the way. And I think that my, my mom came up with this brilliant strategy. They got us boxing gloves. <laughs> and, and they strapped them on the two of us. I think maybe, this, maybe the goal here was to like shame us or something like that, I don't know. But we just kind of looked at the boxing gloves and said, cool. And then we just started wailing away and mom and dad were just sitting on the couch. And mom said, okay Chuck, this isn't working, make them stop. <laughs> God waited a long time to see if Israel was going to practice Sabbath rightly. Let's go back to that 
backbone of the Old Testament and get some sense of what's, what's going on here as we think these things through. When we look at um, uh, that path, oh, I'm sorry, I, I think I skipped a, skipped a passage here for, um, for the slides, but um, let's just go um, right to that backbone slide and they'll, they'll catch up with us there. If we go to this um, slide, you might remember that sequence of um, uh, the books of the Old Testament and where we find ourselves. Now, if you look at, at this one here, you see it looks like Exodus and Numbers have kind of gotten the chicken pox. We have these little green spots all over them. This is basically capturing in some way the, um, the mentions of Sabbath in the Old Testament. So we see this, this flurry of Sabbath instruction kind of aligned with the sermons that we've preached so far, right? We had Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law. We had uh, Deuteronomy 5, the repeat of the law. We even saw how Leviticus slotted in there to the book of Exodus. And we had the Sabbath years discussed in this same pattern. So there's this foundational Sabbath instruction for Israel. And then as we saw before, Isaiah shows up all the way down here in 2 Kings and between the, book, the beginning of the book of Joshua and the ministry of Isaiah, we've got about 700 years. And over the course of that entire 700 years of biblical instruction, Sabbath is mentioned a couple of times in passing in 2 Kings. And it's really not instruction, it's more like using it as a marker for a day of the week. Like, hey, why are you doing that? It's not Sunday. That's it. It's not really instruction about Sabbath keeping. So if we were to add a couple of little splotches there, a couple more just for sort of completeness, we'd see a couple green dots showing up there in Second uh, Kings. But then uh, suddenly there is this flurry of Sabbath instruction. We have Isaiah showing up and saying, your Sabbaths are exhausting me. We have Jeremiah um, right before the end of the uh, southern kingdom saying, uh, I've had enough of your Sabbath breaking. It's gonna lead to destruction. While Israel is in captivity, uh, Ezekiel makes a big deal about Sabbath keeping. After the um, uh, Israelites come back from the exile, then uh, we have a new foundation of Sabbath keeping uh, established in the book of Nehemiah. And Israel rethinks its history um, by writing First and Second Chronicles, a kind of post-exilic reflection on their history. And suddenly they're thinking about the Sabbath as it relates to this history throughout uh, their, their time in the land. So it's only in this moment of crisis here at the end of it that we have this sudden flurry of Sabbath keeping. This is where we find ourselves in the text. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is it that is going to enrich our Sabbath keeping? In verse um, 14 of uh, Isaiah 57, Isaiah calls out, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. I wanted to show you what Isaiah is talking about, building a road in the wilderness. This is what 
Israel looks like. This is what Israel would have looked like in the time of Isaiah. Uh, there is this um, uh, wilderness of mountains and hills that are um, just impassable, un- unimaginable. And Isaiah says, make a way through here, make a road through here. The first time I was in Israel, I was leading a group and uh, we stopped at one point in the Judean wilderness. One of the fellows um, decided he wasn't gonna get off the bus. He just looked out the window and said, yeah, this doesn't really look like my kind of terrain. And I said, well, sir, this is my first time here, but I'm telling you, I think the whole thing kind of looks like this. Not exactly my kind of terrain. We need help in Sabbath keeping. Isaiah says, build a straight road through the wilderness. So these are the things that enrich our Sabbath keeping. We find in Isaiah, uh, now 58, um, why, why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't take any knowledge of it? And here's God's answer. Because in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, oppress your workers, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Why is it that our Sabbaths are pointless? Why is it that our Sabbaths don't work? It's because we, we set these things aside only to um, oppress, only to quarrel and fight. We continue to seek our own way. Think about this in our own context. We come together as a community. Do we come together to rejoice or to fight? Churches are often caricatured, marked by conflict and infighting and silly, petty disagreements. This destroys Sabbath. But if we come together to worship and to rejoice. We fast to relieve oppression. God says, what what is the fast that I desire? That you deny yourself in order to relieve the oppression of others. See, it's not enough to just not be part of the problem. God calls us to be part of the solution. In your workplace, in your school, in the church, I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not gonna participate in backbiting or gossip or stabbing or conflict or drama. That's pretty minimal. God calls believers, blessed are those who are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We are membered in God's healthy Sabbath community when we are known not only as those who don't cause oppression, that's minimal, but people who relieve oppression, who create shalom and create peace. We fast to feed the hungry. When we talked last week about uh, a Sabbath year being an opportunity to help the poor, to help the oppressed, um, a a Sabbath pattern through six days of the week, uh, the way we manage our finances and manage our time. If we do this to feed the hungry, your Sabbath will be sweet and blessed. Do you know this? Liberty maintains a food pantry. When you go grocery shopping, 
and acquiring the things you need for your own daily and weekly provision, one of the things you could do is think, you know, we're going to come together and worship on Sunday. I'm going to be there. I could buy extra food and take it to the food pantry, and Liberty would be known as a place that provides for the hungry, that clothes the naked, that comforts the afflicted, that houses the homeless. Uh, These are the fasts in which God takes delight. This is not merely an Old Testament concept. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount kind of repeats one of the questions that we asked last week. Um, what will we eat? <laughs> Remember that? If we, if we don't plant our land, if we, if we follow God, if we aren't eager, what, what will we eat? Jesus says, don't be anxious, saying, what will we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? In Matthew 6, 33, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. It's kind of a paradox here around the pursuit of Sabbath. We think, well, if I just mark off my Sunday in the right way and do the right things or don't do the wrong things on Sunday, then that'll be the mark of healthy Sabbathing. But what Isaiah is saying is if we refrain from the evil doing that marked that culture, but more than refrain from the evil doing of marking that culture, but we positively pursue righteousness in our own time and culture, if we are, in fact, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then what is it that gets added to us? Well, our material needs, our social needs, our psychological needs, also our Sabbath rest. God meets us here. He meets us in our rest as we're faithful in the rest of our week. The book of Isaiah concludes, as we noted previously, with God revising his perspective on Sabbath. Looking forward from Isaiah's time, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, your offspring and your name will remain from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh will come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is the mark of this faithful Sabbath keeping. When we seek God and his righteousness, then the the nations are gathered. God meets us and his people. All these things are added to us, and we truly enter into God's rest. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that... uh, even as Isaiah declared that uh, we're unclean, we live among a people of unclean lips, we call out to you for deliverance and for righteousness. We are weary in our own righteous practice, 
seeking to accomplish our own goals, to do things our own way. We pray that you would deliver us from that pride, that you would uh, teach us a true fast, that we would seek and find your kingdom and your righteousness, and that we would discover the outpouring of your blessing, true rest, true peace, and true shalom. Give us today these things we ask because we desperately need them and want them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.